The book of Acts, starting in chapter 15. So remember, Paul and Barnabas are at Antioch, and they've been there for a while, and some some people come down from Judea and start teaching them, the people there, that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas were debating with them and arguing this point. And the brothers, we see that the the people there have a really good heart for God because the the brothers there decide Paul and Barnabas should go back with some others to Jerusalem and consult the apostles and elders there on this issue because their heart is, hey, if this is something we truly need to do to live more fully with and for God, then we'll do it. But if it's not necessary, then obviously we, we don't want to do that. Um, so the, their heart is right, and they send Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem. Along the way, they're encouraging brothers that they meet in Phoenicia and Samaria with the stories of the conversion of the Gentiles, and everyone's excited to see the glory of the Lord moving. And then they get to Jerusalem, and they're received by the church, the apostles and elders, and they again, they reported everything that had been happening. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So we'd had Pharisees that had come to the Lord now, that accepted Jesus as their Messiah, uh, but their, their, you know, their pharisaical training, the law of Moses, which had spent their life uh, working to uphold, was, you know, it was too strong in them to just let go so easily. And so this caused quite a debate. And then Peter stands up and says, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. And so the the people were silent by this, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating signs and wonders God had done through the Gentiles. And then James stood up. And he says, now this is, again, James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, the James, who was the original disciple, died a few chapters back. He says, brethren, listen to me. Simeon, who's Peter, uh, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written. So he begins, uh, you know, quoting the prophet. After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. So, the prophets had shown he will restore his people, his tent among his people, the tabernacle of David, which is accomplished by Jesus, and then we have a people, the Jewish people that have come to follow the Lord, but that he's doing this for his glory in all the world, for all the people to come. And so he says, now we see this. It's God's always talked about this, and now he's doing it. He says, therefore, my judgment is, we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, 
but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. So James is recommending that they, and this is very similar to what they're going to actually tell the people when the when they all decide to send an official answer, uh, abstain from things contaminated by idols. So things that have to do with other religions, other spiritualities, don't do these things. You see these things creeping into the church big time. Well, for one, we've seen some some of our traditions have crept into the church a long time ago, and no one even questions them anymore because they've been here so long. Some of those things go way back to the Roman church. Some of those things go back to uh, the English church, um, you know, since we're English speaking and we receive that from them. Uh, some of these things are, are newer in America's history where we celebrate, um, well, to be quite blunt, there's a satanic holiday coming up at the end of this month. And a lot of people think it's no big deal. I, I always hesitate to bring up these things because I certainly don't want to make the the life about whether we do this thing or not this thing, but but to act like it's no big deal is <laughs> is really uh, shows that we're not truly walking with the Lord. To be blunt about it, it shows that we don't take spiritual things seriously, and. Um, and so that's okay. It doesn't mean we're not saved. It doesn't. It doesn't mean that we're not growing where we are. You know, but there should come a point in our growth. I shouldn't say we're not walking with the Lord. Maybe we're not very far along. Um, again, I don't want to make that a litmus test of anything. It's. It's not. It's just a thing. And maybe for one, they pull that out. Uh, uh, I. W- w- I. I knew all this a few years ago, and we let our kids uh, trick-or-treat because uh, there was just pressure around to do this, and did I want to make a stand on that issue? I just kind of grumbled and went along with it without saying too much. But I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. I just The Lord was just saying strongly, do not do these spiritual activities that are against my way. And so... Um, we're actually just going to get out of town, get get just leave for that part. Our man, our neighborhood does it up. There's stuff already everywhere, and um, you know, pictures of death, pictures of horror, um, and you know, some people do cute things because they think, well, I want to participate, but I don't want to talk about death and horror. Well, guess what? You're still participating. Anyways, I, I don't want to make a big deal about that. Uh, it's certainly not a litmus test of anything. But what does James say? Hey, there's certain core things that cannot be done if you're walking in this way. One of this is doing things contaminated by idols. Well, that's what that is. That's what things like uh, yoga that has become so popular. That's a Hindu religious thing. Um, all these things that are creeping into our culture... Um, they make themselves look like no big deal. And I, and I before coming to the Lord, I did things that aren't, aren't even, most people don't even do. Um, I don't even remember the name of the one at the moment. But, man, there's real power in that stuff. Um, and, you know, it's labeled as, oh, it's all nice, good, you know. Of course it's labeled that way. Who, Who's going to 
going to push something that is labeled as terrible and awful, but you should do it anyways. That's not the way it works. It's always labeled as benign, helpful, not bad. Oh, this isn't Hindu yoga. This is a Christian yoga. There's no such thing. It is contaminated by idols. The root of it is in Hindu religion. Now, if you're in this, you know, again, it's not, it doesn't, it's not saying you're not saved. It's just you're contaminated. Um, and if you're not even ready to, you know, leave that contamination, just keep seeking the Lord. The Lord will reveal all things to you. But there should come a point in your growth where you're no longer contaminated by idols. And I don't know, it may become a thing. They were hard on this. Like they drew a line on this. So maybe I'm too soft on it. Um, my, my tendency on things is to draw a line, however, have a lot of mercy as far as the timing of people uh, being brought up in the Lord to move past things. Um, that's a general tendency unless instructed by the Lord otherwise. Um, and I think that's the Lord's wisdom, but, but again, and maybe, maybe that's for a season. Maybe there comes a season when, hey, you want to be a part of it? Look, the world is obviously evil. You've been participating in that, which was all of us. And if you want to come into the light, you have to drop all these things. So you're making a bold step into the light from the darkness. And that's a better way, honestly, but that's a, a harder way unless the distinction between good and evil is very clear in your heart and in your mind. Um... Anyways, I'm going to move on from that. Fornication. Well, there, I, I had uh, somebody tell me recently, they're talking about how God, there's a woman, a client, talking about how godly this man is that she's met and she's marrying and um, and how she's just been praying for that and praying for that and finally found a godly man. It's, and they, And then not very much longer later in the conversation, made it very clear that they were not waiting until marriage. And, you know, she wasn't seeking me for spiritual counsel. She was, it was a financial meeting. <laughs> so I did not push uh, spiritual counsel in this area where it wasn't asked for. But internally, my jaw was hanging open. Like, wait a minute. Um, <laughs> you, you're supposed to wait for that till marriage, aren't you aware of that? Um, anyways, I, I didn't get in the discussion. Again, I wasn't invited into that stuff. It was something that was readily offered as part of the discussion, which shocked me because I would think that would be something held in embarrassment if, uh, if that was the way. And again, with, with all these things, my life before the Lord was worse than just probably anyone listening to this. I lived according to the world, according to the evil one, according to my flesh, uh, in, in many awful ways. So I don't mean to sound judgmental and act like I'm holier than thou. Um, I was worse than thou in pretty much every way. 
um, the Lord restored me, transformed me, and it and it was a process. I didn't just accept the Lord, and amazingly, I was, uh, you know, all these things just left me. That was a process to come out of these things, and so I fully understand what it's like to be in those things. And that's this isn't a teaching on that subject, but um, if I sound judgmental against these things. I understand what it's what it is to live in these things and to think that this is the only way you can possibly live. Uh, had someone else recently tell me, like it, it just seems impossible to leave that because your mind is so clouded by the ways of the enemy and the ways of the world. It seems impossible. I've had somebody else tell me this on this subject that that's so old fashioned. No one can live that way. It's as if you could never uh, even find someone if you kept yourself to those standards. Well, that's baloney. That's the thinking of the world. You're actually blocking yourself from finding the one, to at least the likelihood that you find a good one by living according to the world's standards. Anyways, that, that's, that's it. From what is strangled and from blood. The life is in the blood. Um, I know you don't see that often, but strangled things, I just, that's not really a, something anyone struggles with that I'm aware of. Um, you do see things made with blood creeping into fancy restaurants. I I don't often go to fancy restaurants, so I don't know that I've ever seen this on a menu. But as far as what's on TV, I've, I've seen or heard of, um, um, you know, some people eat this. And, um, man, I, I don't, this doesn't... It, it's not as obvious to me why this is a big deal, but I do know God has made it clear life is in the blood. It's the blood of Jesus. It was the blood of animals that temporarily saved the people. It's the blood of Jesus that permanently saves us. The life is in the blood. Blood is critically important. If we don't understand that, well, maybe we just obey without understanding because the Lord has said it. And again, they're setting apart here rules that are critically important. They set aside circumcision, which was a really big deal with Abraham and Moses. They set that aside, but they say these things are really important. So things contaminated by idols, things of other spiritualities, um, sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman, uh, things that are strange or strangled or, or, you know, eating or drinking blood. Don't do those things. These are set up as critically important. Maybe we should realize God is, has more wisdom than we have and live according to his wisdom, not our own. So, the, <clears throat> so then the apostles and elders and the whole church decide to send some brothers along with Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch. So they sent Judas, also called Barsabas, and Silas, who we see becomes important with Paul and his journeys. These were leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter by them. The apostles and the elders, sorry, the apostles and the brethren, who are elders, to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, who are from the Gentiles, greetings, since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have distributed you with these words, unsettling your souls. It seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, 
who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. So these are essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. So there it is. Those are instructions. These are the important. Now this isn't say if you just do these things, then you'll enter the full life of the kingdom. It's saying you, you cannot enter the full life of the kingdom if you're doing these things. Do not do these things. These are, but living this way is completely antithetical with the way of God. And so they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and they gathered the congregation, they delivered the letter to them, and they heard it, and everyone rejoiced because of the encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were sent with Paul and Barnabas, were prophets, and they encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. And after they'd spent time there, they sent away from them, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there, so he did. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. And after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And so they decided, okay, we're going to go on a missionary journey. But Barnabas wanted to take uh, John called Mark. So this is Mark, the writer of the gospel, who is his cousin. And Paul said, no, we should not take him because he deserted us in Pamphylia. And he and had not gone with them to the work. So Mark kind of fell short on that journey. You know, it's quite possible Barnabas and Mark were funding these journeys because they were a rich family. And Paul, and they might have felt, you know, Barnabas' position may have been, hey, we're funding this, so you need to give a little grace and mercy here. Mark is young, and he's he made a mistake, but he's going to grow. Remember, Barnabas' name translates as son of encouragement, and we see that in a lot of his things. Paul was a little harder. He said, no, he failed us, and we're not going to depend on someone who failed us. And something really powerful, there's something powerful in both of these things. So I'm, I, neither one is the bad guy, but it's we can learn a lot from the interaction. Um Paul says, I don't care if you guys are the ones funding the trip. I am going to be about the work of the Lord, and I'm not going to worry about the money. God will provide the money so long as I'm about his work. And so he refused to be persuaded by money in order to preach the word of God. So that is powerful, and that's rare. Quite often in churches around the country and world, people are persuaded by money. We make little um, little sacrifices to what's right and good in order to appease those who are providing the money. And that is a great evil. And Paul said, no, I'm not going to do it. However, I fully understand it can be a difficult choice because look at the choice Barnabas made. Barnabas decided, hey, I'm going to build Mark up. And so they went. We don't really know what happened as much on their journeys. But what do we know? Later on, Paul is going to write about Mark in saying that he is essential for his work, that he is dependable, and not many people are. So Mark is going to grow into someone who is strong in the Lord, and Paul is going to find him very useful. 
So Barnabas, you know, he didn't give up on Mark. He built him up. Uh, so we see very good attributes in both of them, but they came to agreement and they split up. And Paul took Silas. And so we see in other letters, Paul mentioning Silas as being a strong right-hand man. And, you know, he had multiple right-hand men. Uh, at times Mark, at times Luke, at times Silas, and of course the most famous is Timothy. Uh, people that, and there are others, but those are probably the, the biggest ones mentioned. And um, so they went on, and uh, Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus, Paul and Silas went to Syria and Cilicia, and strengthening the churches along the way. And then let's look at Acts 16. I find the beginning of this chapter pretty funny. <laughs> so Paul goes to Derby and then to Lystra, and he finds a disciple there named Timothy. Timmy is the son of a Jewish woman who is a believer, but his father is Greek. And he's well spoken of by the brethren in Lystra and Iconium. So people think well of him. He's a young, I don't know, young guy, young kid, um, old enough to, you know, go out. But, but he's clearly young from the other stories we hear. Um, and Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. So I find it kind of hysterical. The last chapter, they're telling all the world, you don't have to be circumcised. <laughs> and then... Uh, Timothy, he says, but if you're coming with me, kid, you're getting circumcised. <laughs> so he did, does it, but he does that because he wants to be able to go speak to the Jews first in every city he goes to, and he doesn't want to put a stumbling block in front of the Jews. So he says, I'm willing to suffer, and, and if you're coming with me, Timothy, you have to be willing to suffer in certain ways for the benefit of those that we are taking the gospel to. And so it's no, it's a small thing for you to suffer having this part of your body cut off and the pain that comes with that uh, in order for others to be saved. And so this is the way I'm bringing you into. I'm going to disciple you into. So come in this way and, and take this suffering. And, um, and so Timothy does it. And so they, you know, they kept passing through cities and delivering the, the decrees that the apostles and elders in Jerusalem had told everyone that they need to observe. And so the churches are being strengthened in the faith and increasing in number daily. And so we see they're passing through different regions, Phrygian, Galatian regions, and they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they obeyed, and they just went where the God, God was showing them. They went to Mysia, Bithynia, and they, or that's where they were trying to go. But Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So they passed by Mysia, and they came down to Troas. And then Paul has a vision there's a, a Macedonian man standing and appealing them, come over to Macedonia and help us. So immediately they decided we need to go to Macedonia. God is calling us to preach the gospel there. So he has the vision and he, he acts on it. He's, 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 they're doing everything they can to obey the Lord, not their own desires. He desired or they desired to preach in certain cities. But God said, no, come and preach in this city. So they obeyed him. It's very simple Sometimes that's not easy, though. It's, it, it's easy to just read, oh, he wanted to go to that, and then, and then God said, go here, so he went there. But in real life, when it's your life, you have all these plans and ideas and thoughts about what God's going to do if you do this certain thing. But God says, no, I want you to do this other thing. It's not so easy to give up all those plans and ideas and thoughts that you had, maybe, maybe work that you've put into this particular area. And God says, no, lay all that down and come over this way. So understand, obedience isn't necessarily easy, 
It's simple, but it's not necessarily easy. But it's vitally important to continue growing in the fullness of what God has for you. And when we do that, we see him work in far more mighty ways than the, you know, the outcome we would have had by just working out of our own strength. So we see several cities that they went to, and then he mentions they arrived to Philippi. And, you know, the places that where we have letters where Paul wrote to the people, like Philippians is written to the people of Philippi, um, those always stand out more because we, we've got a lot more context with them. And so he, they, he said he stayed there a number of days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside to the gate on the riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And there's a woman named Lydia there. She's from the city of Thyatira, and she sold purple fabrics, which purple was very valuable back then. She was a worshiper of God and was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by God. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And so they went and stayed with her. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us and was bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. So she was going after Paul and, okay, so you see the word us, following after Paul and us. So Luke uses that device to show at this point in the story, he is with Paul. He doesn't really ever mention his name, but when he says, when he's talking about them, or, you know, he just mentions the name, he doesn't sound like he's there. But when he says us, he's making it clear, I was here on this part of the journey. So this woman with a spirit is falling behind them, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that moment. But her master saw this and were very angry because she made them a lot of money. And so they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. And so the crowd got riled up. The chief magistrates tore their robes off and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. This <laughs> is rough. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And so he did this. He threw them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks so they are in high security prison. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. So again, they're in jail. You would think this is miserable. They're not miserable. They're full of joy because they're doing the work of the Lord. And they know they're getting to suffer for the Lord. And so it's a blessing. And so they're praising God. If they would have sat there being miserable, thinking, woe is me, they'd still be stuck in that jail, right? But instead, they're praising God and, and worshiping God. And suddenly a great earthquake came and the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. And so the jailer awakes. He sees the prison doors open. He drew a sword. He's going to kill himself. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out. He's not worried about his own safety. He's worried about, man, this, this guy shouldn't kill himself. That's a horrible thing. So again, he's trusting in God. He's not worried about, well, if, if he's got to die, so be it. Then we'll be able to escape. He's just trusting in God and saying, no. 
He's assuming that God's grace is with him or God's directing him to save this man. He says, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So, so the Lord has freed them and has also brought this man to Christ through this thing. And so Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. Something that's hard for Americans, or and I think all people of the West with the Greek mindset, um, Western mindset, to understand, but uh, particularly Americans, we are all about individualism. A lot, most of the peoples of the world understand the importance of families, and you see throughout, you know, the direction God gave Adam and Eve, the direction God gave the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, the 12 tribes, Moses, uh, all of them. You see the importance of families. And God finds families very important and their spiritual authority along family lines. And so here we see in a couple times already in this chapter where he says, believe in your household will be saved. So that's just something to be noted that the spiritual authority within households is a very real, tangible, spiritual reality. And it's counter to our culture, but our culture isn't right. God's way is right. And so when our culture doesn't understand the things of God, we need to drop that part of our culture and attune ourselves, our hearts, our inner ear, our souls to the way of God and the spiritual realities that exist whether or not our culture comprehends those things. So he takes them to all his household. He speaks the word of God to them. And he took them that very night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his households. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. So he, he had just caused, well, he didn't cause all the wounds. Maybe not most of them, but he had, He'd bound them up, and now he's healing their wounds. <laughs> he's serving them food at his table and rejoicing in the Lord. So it's just a beautiful picture of coming from darkness into light. And then the magistrate sends word to say, release the men. And the so he comes to Paul and says, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. And Paul says to him, they have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans and have thrown us into prison, and now they are sending us away secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and bring us out. <laughs> I don't know if something was accomplished in the spirit in this, or Paul sometimes liked to be a punk. <laughs> but, uh, so the policemen reported to the chief magistrates, and the chief magistrates were afraid because they're Romans, and they can get in trouble with Caesar for just beating a Roman citizen without, uh, without a fair trial. So they came and appealed to them, and when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. So they went out of prison, entered the house of Lydia, and when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them, and then they did depart. And so that's it for today. God bless you.